I'm Sarah Rose, and this is the Mind Body Academy podcast. I'm here to teach you how to think yourself slim. It's not brain surgery, and I promise you can do it too. Listen in to find out how. What's good, everyone? As always, it's so good to be here with you. Today, we're going to be talking about loneliness. More specifically, I'm going to draw out some of the important differences between being alone and being in solitude. And then we're going to talk about what you can do to work through some of those feelings of loneliness so they don't become a total suck on your energy and well-being. In these times of lockdowns and sheltering in place and social distancing and people experiencing more strain than ever in their relationships, there's this generalized anxiety throughout society right now. I don't know if you can feel that, but around this sense of feeling isolated and alone. It really is a major public health concern. Going through hard times is hard. Going through hard times when you feel like you're alone is even harder. So loneliness compounds our suffering. It amplifies whatever baseline feelings are alive for us right now. And loneliness is a signal to our primitive brain that we're cut off, which produces a massive stress response in the body. And that makes sense because for most of human evolution, our survival was hitched to belonging to a group. Our need to belong is in ourselves. It's in our DNA. It's in our constitution. The physical effects of loneliness are... More and more researched out there, but loneliness, essentially what it does is it depresses our immune system because the stress hormone cortisol that gets released when we feel lonely has the impact of creating inflammation. And then that inflammation is at the root cause of upwards of 90% of diseases. So it's linked to things like premature death. And of course, it affects other aspects of our lives, like how much we want to exercise and the way we want to eat. And it makes sense to really understand the impact that each of our emotions has on us physiologically because you think of an emotion like arousal, right? Clearly there's a physical effect, but we tend to gloss over the fact that whatever we tend to experience on a day-to-day basis most consistently, which emotions are there for us, is also having an impact on us physically, right? Whether we experience health or disease in the body is impacted by how we're managing our emotions, And the impact on ourselves physically and mentally is undeniable, which makes this topic so important right now, just to bring into awareness what loneliness is and how to work with it to make it something that doesn't have to interfere with our ability right now to be there for each other, to be there for ourselves when we most need ourselves. While our social networks are expanding with the advent of social media and the technology, right, it expanded our reach, even though we've gotten more plugged into each other's lives and the world at large, there's also been this corrosion of our social bonds as we've gotten busier and busier and more distracted. We often end up using social media as a substitute for meaningful connection or something we feel obligated to especially if you have a business or right now I heard someone say they've been using this acronym FFT forced family time, (laughs) Zoom meetings that are in their calendars, just 
trying to recreate this sense of connection, but in a way that's not coming from that desire to connect. So there's this correlation between social media usage and a decrease across all our different markers of well-being. Our social networks have in many ways become more impersonal. We might have a greater quantitative amount of social contacts in our networks, but the quality has been impacted by how we have been using social media and using our technological tools to nourish and maintain those relationships. And forget about how many friends you have on Facebook for a minute. I think it's an interesting exercise to sit down and map out a diagram of your actual social network and then write about what you notice. Does that amplify your feelings of connection or decrease them? Sometimes we feel alone because the people who are close to us are lost in the social web we've created for ourselves online and we forget to nurture the relationships that are closest to us or lean into them for support. Loneliness is a feeling. That may seem kind of obvious, but if you look at how we express loneliness to one another or to ourselves, you see language patterns like I'm alone or I'm lonely or even I'm alone in this relationship. And what you'll notice is that loneliness gets experienced as a state of being rather than a feeling. It can become this whole way of life. It's like this stamp on the kind of person you are or the relationship that you have or the life that you're living. Loneliness can become this vacuum-sealed envelope around all of our other struggles. The sense of no one is there for me, no one can help me. But loneliness isn't the container in which life is happening. It is a part of life happening. It is just a feeling. It is a vibration, a set of physical sensations happening in your body, caused by your thoughts. It's just that most of us don't experience loneliness as being caused by our thoughts. Loneliness seems to be caused by the people around us, or the lack thereof, or a perceived lack of support and attention from the people around us. We think it's caused by not having a romantic partner, or enough friends, or enough business contacts, but it's not caused by that. How do we know this? Because loneliness can be experienced whether or not there are people around. You've experienced this, yes? where you're with someone or maybe at a party and yet you feel alone because you're thinking that you're alone or where you're in a relationship with someone and the way you're communicating with one another makes you feel like they keep leaving you hanging and that they aren't really there for you. That's the interesting thing about the times that we're living through right now. Whether you live alone or you're stacked on top of the other people you live with like a pile of pancakes, (laughs) you can feel alone and isolated. Loneliness hits people in all kinds of different life circumstances. So it's not our circumstances that determine whether or not we feel lonely. It's the lens through which we are viewing our circumstances, i.e. our thoughts. Loneliness is not only about not being able to be around other people, and that's critically important to understand. Being alone is only experienced as loneliness when we're thinking thoughts that are causing us to feel lonely. This is what makes it different than the experience of solitude. Solitude is the state of being alone without being lonely. It's about finding balance within and being comfortable in your own skin. It's about becoming intimate with your own mind. 
It's about facing yourself when it would be easier to turn away. And it is a skill to be able to learn how to do this, to turn towards yourself in those moments of aversion, especially when you're experiencing an emotion like loneliness. In meditation, they say that the basic guidelines are the same tricks you would teach a dog. Sit, stay, heal. And, you know, what I want to draw your attention to is that our capacity to be alone is a skill. There's all these different ways of approaching that skill development, but it is a skill. It's not something innate. And first and foremost, it's dependent on your ability to be with yourself, not your ability to be with other people. And I think that's really interesting because that's very different than how we typically understand it. It is true that brains are wired to connect. We are fundamentally social. And I think it's so fascinating to look at things like pain studies, where providing support through physical contact not only decreases the experience of pain for the person in pain, but also increases activity in the reward centers of the brain of the person providing support. You look at research like that, and it's easy to understand why we crave connection. It modulates our experience of our reality, especially when we're going through something that is painful, physically or emotionally. On a primitive level, the brain registers the presence of support in a very positive way, on a very physiological level as well, but also the absence of support as a sign of social rejection or of being cut off in some way, which for most of humanity was very dangerous. Our survival depended on our social bonds. And so our brain responds to social pain in much the same way as it responds to physical pain. That's why loneliness can feel so painful. And if that rejection doesn't feel like it's being caused by someone or several someones in our immediate environment, it can get projected onto the world or different social groups. Like they don't get us. We are different than them. And I think that's at the root of so much divisiveness right now. Not feeling seen, heard, or understood can create this sense of being invisible, being alone in our experience. And we can take that very painfully. Connection is linked to our most basic survival needs. How we process our feelings of loneliness and disconnection determines how we view ourselves, how we view our lives for a long time after an event that leads us to feel lonely, especially if it's for a prolonged period of time or during our early childhood years of our early development. Being alone doesn't have to be a problem, but we need to understand our primal instinct to see it as one. Sometimes we aren't fully aware of our own loneliness, so that's an aspect of it. We don't really view it as a problem because we're constantly turning away from it or reacting to it with another layer of difficult emotion. Loneliness can appear, for example, as depression or an energetic drain or a down. Just this underlying sense of something is missing and I'm not okay. And it can also appear as anxiety because the more separate we feel, the more vulnerable we feel also. Then at other times, you know, it can appear as anger or resentment because again, there's a sense of I'm being rejected or I'm being judged or I am different or I'm on the outs. We all have this existential tendency to feel separate. And then it can appear as shame. It's also really common because it activates the reflex within ourselves to ask, 
okay, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I alone? Why don't I have people I can reach out to? What does that say about me? There's this reflexive judgment of our own selves for feeling lonely. And so loneliness is often a web of complicated emotions because we try to get away from it and cover over our feelings of loneliness with obsessive thinking and overeating and all kinds of other forms of buffering. And when that basic need for connection is missing, we try to fill it. We seek substitutes. But those substitutes, like comfort foods, are a false refuge because they don't actually allow us to get away from our feelings of loneliness. They only cover over them. It's like a numbing agent. We just lose the awareness that what we're actually feeling beneath the depression, the shame, the rage, whatever it is, is just a feeling of loneliness. And when you remove some of those buffering behaviors, like the overeating, only then can you become aware of the depth of your loneliness and be moved to do something about it. When you take away the overeating or the overdrinking or the overspending, that's when you really are able to meet yourself. Loneliness is about not being able to be alone with yourself. I think that's very different than how we tend to understand loneliness. Again, we tend to think we need other people in order to feel feelings of love and connection. But loneliness has less to do with other people and more to do with you. And I don't mean that in some blamey shamey kind of way, like it's your fault. It's just that we're not intentional about doing it for ourselves, about generating those feelings of love and connection. We don't even have the awareness that we are the ones withholding those emotions from ourselves. So it's completely the opposite here. I'm saying this so that it's empowering because it really is an empowering realization to come to when you realize that you don't have to control your circumstances or other people in order to not feel alone, in order to feel loved, right? You just have to start thinking about how connected you are to yourself. Do you feel connected to yourself? Do you feel connected to your emotions? How accepting are you towards what's difficult about yourself or about your life or about what you're experiencing right now? You might think that if you're rumbling with feelings of loneliness, that all you have to do is seek out connection with other people. And that is an aspect of what you can do. But the other option is to cultivate solitude and to befriend your own inner life. This isn't easy because most of us are constantly dodging our solitary self. So when we meet ourselves, it's much more of a collision with ourselves. And that initial reconnecting can be painfully difficult at first. However, when we work through it, it creates a more sustained sense of well-being. Because there's just this sense that in our low moments, that we're always there for ourselves. When we're constantly running away from ourselves, we don't have that. Instead, we're much more dependent on the people around us to generate those feelings for us. And when they don't generate those feelings for us, we feel resentful or disconnected from them. And it just further reinforces this impression of being alone. So connection with other people begins with your level of connection that you have to yourself. That was really an aha for me last year when I had the opportunity to go on silent retreat for seven days. 
So that's right. Total silence for seven days. You're not speaking. You don't have access to technology. There's no journaling. It's just silence. And it was a retreat that was out in the middle of the desert. So you're away from most everything and most everyone. Essentially, what each day looks like is just alternating periods of seated and walking meditation. So you're not doing a whole lot. (laughs) And yet, it's a lot more than most people can handle. And a lot of people drop out of these things. Many more people probably hear about these silent meditation retreats and couldn't possibly imagine why someone in their right mind would voluntarily pay not only money, but real money (laughs) to do one. And I get that. The thought of being alone with our thoughts is a bit of a hard sell. But funny enough, at the time, so I went down to LA to do this, and my friend who I was staying with had rescued me from a bit of a an awkward living situation. <laughs> and he was thinking I was pretty crazy to do this. So then he's like, where is this place? And when we Googled it, the first suggestion in the autofill dropdown was the name of the retreat center, followed by the word cult. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. But it's how people tend to think of these places. And anyway, no, I did not hand all my money over to a cult. <laughs> but the interesting thing that happened while I was down there, you know, while I was meditating and spending that time in solitude was I was able to recognize how connected I felt to myself, where I was at in my relationship with myself. And that was so powerful. At one point, one of the teachers leading the retreat was leading what's called the Dharma talk. And she spoke about how our inner voice was probably judging and commenting our meditation practice, like how good it is and how skillful we are at it. But that really wasn't my experience at all. During the first couple of days, first one or two, my mind was pretty restless, but then everything slowed down and became much more kumbaya, <laughs> if you will. And time, which had always felt so contracted, so hurried, so speeded up, expanded. And I'm not talking microwave minutes here, where you're kind of just standing there wishing time would pass faster. More like when you're a kid and you go off to summer camp or go away for the summer And then you go back to school and summer felt like two years instead of two months. So in a really good way. And I just really enjoyed my own company. And man, was that different from how I had been most of my life with myself. My mind used to be this vending machine of negativity that would torment me. Like a bag of Doritos caught in the coil of the machine. (laughs) And I joke, but it was horrible. I struggled with chronic depression and I lived under this unrelenting pressure from myself. And I used to feel so alone in so much of what I was going through. And because of that, I resented certain people in my life and I would just pull away. And deep down, I resented myself for the same reasons I resented them. So no matter how much I pulled away from everyone around me, at the end of the day, there was no escaping myself. It's like constantly colliding with myself and with how I was and the spin of negative emotions and negative thoughts that I was living through. So at one point, it just became clear that I could go frolicking through life (laughs) with myself to the sound of music, or I could keep throwing a pity party to the sound of a tiny violin every time I would be alone with myself and alone with my thoughts. Being alone can be this whole drama Or it can be a source of relationship with yourself that allows your creativity to flourish and all the relationships around you to grow. 
it's much more worthwhile to think about why we aren't connecting with ourselves than to worry about why other people aren't connecting with us. Even the people around us can't make us feel connected if we don't feel connected to ourselves or if we don't feel connected to them, right? That external validation is only ever a temporary fix, if it's a fix at all. Now, just to be clear, you don't need to seclude yourself in the desert to find yourself and embrace yourself and come into holy communion with yourself. Okay, that's definitely not what I'm saying. I forget who said this, but wherever you are, there you are. You can and should start to get to know yourself in the everyday moments. It's cultivating solitude, sometimes just the space between two thoughts when we're overwhelmed by how much we have on our minds, right? We have all these competing thoughts rushing through our minds and we can kind of lose ourselves in that. You have to start to notice when you have that urge to pull out your phone or order a drink while you're waiting for your friend instead of waiting quietly, waiting in solitude. What's between you and being available to yourself in those moments where everything could just kind of settle if you let it? But what is that space that opens up for you that's so uncomfortable that it has to be filled? What is it that you're trying to get away from? What is it about yourself that you're unwilling to be with? And as you do this, you can start to separate yourself out from your self-talk and experience yourself as the one who's hearing it and experiencing it so that you can start to listen to yourself instead of talking at yourself. And with this, you'll be able to set the intention to be the company you wish to keep. First, you have to become aware of what kind of company you are to yourself. Are you a drill sergeant or um, a boot camp instructor? Or are you a bully to yourself? Or are you a friend? What kind of dynamic is playing out between your two ears that's then creating the relationship that you're having to your life into all the people in it. Because the funny thing is, you have to notice that it produces the opposite of connecting behaviors. Think about it. When you feel lonely, are you more likely to hang out with some friends <laughs> or do you hunker down with some snacks and binge Netflix? When we feel lonely, a lot of us loaf around and we want to zone out from what's going on with us. We don't use our call a friend option and we don't call on ourselves to be there for ourselves. When we believe we're alone, why would we reach out to anyone? Our mind is made up that we're alone and therefore that there's nobody on the other end of that line who can make up for that impression, for that belief that we have that there's nobody who's there. You assume nobody is going to be there for you because you're unwilling to be there for yourself in what you're needing from yourself. And what I want to point out is that that kind of thinking that makes us feel lonely leads us to spend more time alone, which reinforces this impression that we're alone. So it can be this real spin that we get ourselves into. When you don't connect with yourself, you can't connect to other people. If you want you know, more friends, a bigger network, better relationships, more overall connection, it has to start with reconnecting to yourself. If you don't like yourself or you have these negative thoughts about yourself, 
nobody can make up for that. No amount of followers or fans or friends. No amount of time spent socializing. You feel lonely to the degree that you don't enjoy your own company. And that's what you have to realize. And that doesn't have to be this big dramatic problem or realization. It's actually your opportunity to affirm or reaffirm that you care about the way that you're feeling and that you care about yourself and that you're there for yourself no matter what other support is available to you. And when you're there for yourself, then you can access your resourcefulness. Loneliness, when you accept that it's a feeling and you accept that it's there, can dissolve into the longing to belong. Right? When you're willing to let it be okay, that that's the way that you feel, then you can let that inform who you are. Not constrain it, not define it, but it can be this expansive experience when you realize that you're there. It's in those moments where we feel alone. It's like, oh yes, but I have my back. I'm going to be there for myself. It's going to be okay. And loneliness is caused by your thoughts, not by who you are. You have to take it from the level of identity and bring it back to the level of a feeling so that it becomes workable again and so that you can process it through instead of sticking to it like glue. (laughs) And if you can recognize that, then you can get curious instead of judgmental. Loneliness that is resisted. The more we're trying to get away from our loneliness, avoid it, or we're just reacting to it, right? And going and doing the binging of Netflix and food and consuming and doing all these things to try and fill that void, well, it ends up creating more loneliness and amplifying those feelings and driving them deeper unconscious and more a part of our identity. And loneliness, on the other hand, that gets accepted, creates connection. Because when you're willing to be with your feelings of loneliness, you're the one who's present to them. You're connected. You're there for yourself. When you accept them, then you can relax inside and sense all the support that is always there. And from there, you're in a better position to seek out human interaction if that's what you desire, if that's what you feel would be supportive of these feelings that you're able to then generate for yourself. So you're not seeking them from outside of yourself first. You're just reinforcing them from the outside in. If you think no one wants to be around you, You won't like being around yourself either. And that's the basic truth of it. So one of the best things we can do when we feel lonely is to work on our thoughts. Just ask yourself why you're feeling lonely and that will reveal all of your thoughts. Whatever comes through will probably just feel like the truth, but you want to investigate that. Thoughts that make us feel lonely are only a problem when we attach to them without investigating them, without questioning them. And it can help to have the support of a coach or a therapist or a mindfulness teacher when you're learning how to be with yourself and when you're learning how to connect to yourself and enjoy your own company. Just think about that. How can you enjoy your own company? Sometimes we just haven't thought about that and consider the possibility that we could experience ourselves differently. The other thing you can do is bring to mind someone you feel connected to or close to. And then imagine them smile. 
<laughs> yeah, that probably made you smile. <laughs> now imagine them laughing, hear their laughter in your mind. And just like that, we can generate those feelings of connection without anyone being there. And when we recognize that we have this capacity to generate connection in our own minds, we really create more space for ourselves to be with ourselves because we realize that we're never really alone. And there are meditation practices like meta that allow you to build this ability because it is a skill to generate these feelings. And connection, feeling connected, requires intention and attention repeatedly. This is something that we flow away from and then we just have to catch ourselves of, oh, feeling lonely. Where is my attention? What was my intention? We have to commit ourselves to connecting in meaningful ways every day back to ourselves, back to the people around us and directing our focus to the people and places that allow us to feel connected. And sometimes that's going to be strangers. That may not be the people in your life, especially if you feel like there aren't people who are there for you or that you feel close to. But the people you pass by who you might think don't really count, you can make those interactions matter by slowing down and smiling once in a while. Right? Don't just rush past. Right now with COVID, people can be a little on edge about maintaining physical distance. <laughs> this one lady I crossed paths with was flinging around a ski pole to keep people at a distance of two meters, but it doesn't have to be a hard distance. You'll be surprised how quickly loneliness can fade when you set the intention to be friendlier to yourself and to the people around you. And that will help you appreciate that how you feel has everything to do with how you're thinking and not with what other people are doing. Surrounding yourself with people will not necessarily make you feel less lonely, but it can definitely help to seek meaningful connection and intentionally cultivate those connections in your life. Even if you have some resistance to it, sometimes it's just like going to the gym where you have all of this resistance to going, but once you're there, you feel so good. And once you're done working out, you feel so good that you did that for yourself. So reach out to people. Notice that tendency we have to mood match where we'll watch shows or listen to music that kind of matches how we're feeling and just break out of that. You can create some of those shifts from the outside in as well, or just reinforce the awareness that you can cultivate within yourself of where you're cut off from yourself or where you're believing that you're cut off from other people but really in a way taking responsibility then for going towards other people, inviting other people in, seeking support, leaning into people, being thoughtful of other people instead of wondering why people aren't thinking about you. And I think, you know, mealtime especially can be a great time to come together with other people or just to be with yourself and slow down. Slow down around yourself, slow down around food, slow down around other people. Food isn't just what you put on the dinner plate. It's what you do to feed the relationships around the dinner table, including the one you have with yourself. So enjoy your food, digest the conversation, and take time to remember as you're eating and as you're taking in all the conversation what you belong to. You are connected to life by what you choose to put on the end of that fork and by who you choose to surround yourself with. 
spiritually and physically on every single level. Everything it took for you to be eating what you're eating connects you back to this larger web of life. Let yourself feel that from time to time. It may be so helpful to practice some gratitude before we sit down to eat. Just having these intentional moments of checking in, of meeting ourselves where we are. Like, okay, the day just got away from me. Can I just catch a breath, catch up with myself in this moment and not let the day define me or be defined by what happened, but instead by how I meet myself in the day that I'm having, right? So the difference between wellness and illness is really the I in illness and the we in wellness. When we stop circling around the I and connect back into who we are and what we belong to, that larger we that we are participating in, we can begin to sense how the space between us is really just the space of our thoughts. And we are the ones who can fill that space with loving thoughts, thoughts that lead us to feel connected or separate and isolated. And it's just a question of perspective. So if you're struggling with feelings of loneliness in any area of your life or in any relationship, I want you to know that it's completely normal and it's not something that you have to freak out about or anything like that. You are not alone. And how I know that is because you're there and maybe you haven't been supportive to yourself (laughs) the way that you wanted to be a support to yourself, but you can be. And so I want to invite you to join the Genius Body Transformation Challenge. It's about so much more than the weight on your body. It's about all the weight that you have weighing you down on your mind. When you feel lonely, that's heavy. And just think about some of the ways that has been like that for you lately. When you get that off your heart, you'll have an easier time getting anything that feels heavy off your body too. I would love, love, love to have you be a part of that community. There's no reason for you to feel like you have to figure any of this stuff out on your own. So just click the link in the show notes to join up today. You're not alone, my friend. I'm excited to see you in there. Bye for now. Talk to you again very soon. Hey, if you're ready to see your body change from the inside out, Join the next Genius Body Transformation Challenge. Seven days that will change how you approach weight loss forever. It's been known to help people just like you start losing weight in a way that you can actually keep it off. Just click on the link in the show notes and let's start a transformation today.